What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Matt Connor and Sterling Holmes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm alone today. Uh, kind of, sort of. Sterling Holmes, who I'm normally with, who has a much better voice for this and is just better than I am, uh, actually took a road trip this week. Folks, he missed the the Raiders game. Like, of all the games to miss, he got in his car so he could avoid watching Derek Carr. I don't know if he was afraid or just quote scheduled something, whatever. Anyway, we miss Sterling. We wish him all the best. Hope he's having fun. I'm pretty sure he's in Florida laying out in the sun or doing whatever it is that you do in Florida on vacation besides getting COVID. That said, um, we got a real treat for you today, folks. I have a conversation coming up here with Matt Lombardo, who is fan sighted's NFL national insider. He also covers the Giants and the Eagles, and he used to cover the Eagles back in Andy Reid's final years in Philly. So we have a great conversation coming up. You're going to love it, where we talk about how Andy Reid has changed over the years, what exactly went wrong in Philly, and he even talked to some former Chiefs this week about how the team has been able to turn it around and what makes Andy's leadership style so perfect for what the Chiefs needed this year. We also take a look at the upcoming Cowboys matchup. So I want to get to that conversation. You're going to love it. But before we do, just want to give a quick shout out because there's been a little bit of noise this week about the offensive line. And when I say noise, I mean good noise. I mean excellent noise. I mean the kind of noise that we really couldn't have predicted ahead of time, right? Think back for a second. It was almost a year ago that we watched an offensive line that was already held together by duct tape and band-aids and whatever other sort of adhesives that you could find. Everything was falling apart, and the Chief really, really, to their credit, did well to even hold it together as long as they did for like for Mitchell Schwartz to sit out for every week since like week six, right? And then when Eric Fisher went down with the Achilles injury in late January in the AFC Championship game, the Chiefs still finished strong there. I mean, I mean, they were undoubtedly the best team in the AFC. So credit to them. But when all the wheels came off in the Super Bowl and it was just clear that they had to redo things, Brett Veach, 
I'm just one man, but here in my recording closet, podcast room, whatever, right? Surrounded by like all kinds of hanging clothes and whatnot. Like I, I just feel I should still give him a standing ovation. I won't, but I should give him a standing ovation because the job he's done. Think about this for a second. He could have even kept a couple of those guys and built around them, right? Like, like it would seem like an audacious goal to replace all five positions. So he could have brought back, let's say Austin Ryder and focused on like left tackle. He could have like known that LDT was coming back and, and just thought we'll reinstall him or at least make him competitive at right guard. He he could have done all of that. He even re-signed Mike Rimmers and he could have said, Oh, we'll keep him at right tackle. Right. But instead Brett Veach decides I'm wiping the slate clean. He should, it's like he shook the offense like an etch-a-sketch and just erased everyone up front and then goes to work. Right. Looking back at that now, I guess what I'm, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is we're here after week 10 and the Chiefs offensive line looks like one of the top five in the business. And better than that, name an interior offensive line that looks better than the Chiefs. I'll just give you a few seconds. Just think about it. Who who would it be? The answer is nobody. I mean, there are others to be sure that are great. But I'm telling you, Joe Tooney, Joe Tooney is playing as good or better than any guard on any team on either side in either conference, right? If he's not an all pro this year, we should all go pick it around Roger Goodell's house or whoever makes those decisions. You have Creed Humphrey, who has not just been like the best rookie center. He's been the best rookie in terms of the graded metrics at pro football focus. And he just passes the eye test, right? You watch him and you just think, gosh, we haven't had a center like this in a long time. And I'm not looking at Austin Ryder. I'm even looking at Mitch Morse and going, yeah, this may be the best we've had since Rodney Hudson. And then to the right of that, you have Trey Smith, who, uh, you know, Joe, so Joe Tooney plays perfect football. It like, he's just... He's the technician, no mistakes, everything looks good, gets the job done, quiet, stable, Ironman performer. And then on the right side, it's almost like the opposite. Like we've seen Trey Smith's helmet fly off and he still just like pulverizes a guy into the ground. He's a mauler. He's tenacious. He's ferocious. And it feels like the man standing between the two and Humphrey is kind of this hybrid mix of the two. He's like both this ideal sort of without mistake performer. And yet there's also kind of that animal in him that loves to like, like get, get dirty with Trey too. together. I just couldn't be more impressed. And given the way that Orlando Brown jr. Looks outside folks, he is playing so much better than he did in the first few weeks. And he's never been horrible. Like he's never looked outright horrible outside, but I'm telling you, he's playing excellent, excellent football. And across from him, Lucas Niang and Mike Rimmers are both very reliable, capable starters. And you got to love the fact that Niang is on his first year of a rookie deal. He's going to be around a long time. What Brett Veach has done here is nothing short of, of, of an NFL personnel level miracle and being able to go in and transform a unit and hit jackpot on 
everything he tried to do. The only thing that's gone wrong really is injuries and, and Kyle long. And even then we're going to see guys coming back. Andrew Wiley looked serviceable on Sunday, did a really good job filling in. Although the chiefs also schemed well around him. This is going to be a great line. This is a deep line. They're going to be able to make a long run um, with this level of talent and depth and ceiling. We're going to have a lot of fun for years to come, but we'll talk more about that later on future episodes. I'll be back in just a moment after this short break with Matt Lombardo to talk Cowboys preview and Andy Reid's leadership. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Connor here in a guest segment with me today is another appropriately named individual Matt. By the way, there are a lot of Matt's in like general reporting, NFL reporting and, and even here at fan cited, uh, like, have you, have you noticed that too? I, I have, but one thing I noticed coming on your podcast, Matt, is that, you know, in, in my beginning radio career, I was the guy at ESPN radio in Philadelphia, kind of like checking the box when a commercial played for the Mike and Mike in the morning show. Yeah. How has it taken so long for there to be a Matt and Matt show breaking down the NFL or the Chiefs or whoever? I think we, I, I think we could be on to something if this goes well today. I, I think so. Hopefully this test run of Matt and Matt will go well. I'm here with Matt Lombardo, who is uh, fan sighted's national NFL insider, runs uh, our giant site, among other things. Matt, why, like, why don't you just introduce yourselves, introduce yourselves, plural, and, uh, and just tell us a little bit about you and your journey to get to this point. And then I want to dive into some Chiefs conversation with you. Yeah, Matt, thanks. I've covered the NFL for basically... I believe it's, if math serves me correctly, the last seven or eight seasons, my first year on the beat at NJ.com covering the Philadelphia Eagles was 2014. But I covered the Eagles in the NFL for some small-time radio stations, for various blogs dating all the way back to 2011. So I've been around the block a time or two. I was on the Eagles beat in some capacity from 2011 through 2017. My last game was Super Bowl 52. Uh, and then I got bumped up to cover the New York Giants over at NJ.com. They're kind of the main beat uh, for the Star Ledger and NJ.com. And last fall, um, thanks to the good graces of our good pal, the aforementioned Matt Verderam, uh, I joined Fan Matt. Yeah, it could be the, the three-headed matster, you know, the, this podcast. But, you know, Matt Verderam is great. We, we've developed a relationship over the last couple of years, and he presented me with an opportunity to join him over at Fansided, covering the NFL, covering the Giants. Uh, that's where I'm at now. I host the Matt Lombardo Show every Friday. You can get that in the Stack in the Box podcast feed through Fansided, all of your, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, all your favorite podcast platforms. Um, and I, I'm a you know, just just someone who tries to keep my finger on the pulse of the NFL and give readers and listeners a peek behind the curtain, if you will, to what it's like inside the league and to conversations they might not be privy to just watching the games on Sunday and following along on Twitter. Mm. I, I love it. And I, I just want to say this up front. You guys will want to follow him after our conversation today. But if you don't already, Matt, for people to follow you on Twitter, it's at Matt Lombardo. It's at Matt Lombardo NFL. NFL. Th thank you for, for throwing it out there. Uh, somebody, 
actually has at Matt Lombardo as of like 2015. I've tried to get in touch with this person. I've done everything but all for the Rolex and, and the check that the, the quarterbacks do when they get traded trying to get their jersey number. Love but it's worked out okay. It's at Matt Lombardo NFL if anybody wants to follow along. Yeah. I, think, I think they haven't tweeted since like 2016. Uh, just so, so who knows what's going on there. Just yeah. waiting for your offer to get juicier, right? Um well, Matt, so so glad for you to join the show today. And I, I want to talk about a few things, um, most notably the Chiefs and their success this season, turning things around, because you even talked about that in your latest column. But before that, I just want to go back a bit, because you covered the end of Andy Reid's reign in Philadelphia. I mean, if you were, if you were there 2011, 2012, there were a lot of Andy Reid detractors at that point. I mean, despite the longevity there in Philly, there was a lot of, he, he can't win the big game. He can't change. Like, I'd love for you to even catch us up. What was like, what was being set by those who watched Reed week in, week out, who had enjoyed mostly sustained, sustained success under Reed during that time in Philly. Like, like what was being said about him at the very end and, and like, what did you make of that then sifting through emotions versus maybe what was real about him in that time? Yeah, Matt, I think that you mentioned something really key there. It was the longevity of the situation. I mean, his last year in Philadelphia, I believe, was 2013. He was hired in, in 1999. That's a long time to be in one place by any standard, especially by NFL head coaching standards. And I think that, you know, his act had just worn a little bit thin in Philadelphia and that as somebody who grew up in the Philadelphia area, I can attest it's not a notoriously patient fan base. And, you know, the steady decline from the Super Bowl appearance in 2005 through his final season and some of the the consistent, I don't want to say inconsistencies, but the consistent struggles of Andy Reid teams not committing to running the football, um, you know, losing two or three games a year that you wouldn't expect the Eagles to lose. And then you saw the year prior to his firing where they struggled out of the chute. They were something like four and eight through 12 weeks, rallied back to finish eight and eight and preserve Andy Reid's job before everything kind of came off the rails in his final season. I think fans have just really had enough. And what's really kind of fascinating is that if you fast forward to Andy Reid's tenure in Kansas City, and of course he lucks into going up to draft Patrick Mahomes, who is the most gifted quarterback walking the planet. They've, of course, built a supporting cast around Mahomes that includes guys like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, and cycled through some running backs. But they've had the kind of supporting cast in Kansas City to be able to throw the ball 30, 35, 37 times a game. Whereas in Philadelphia, yes, they've always had a perennially great offensive line. They've lacked skill position players at wide receiver for a majority of Andy Reid's tenure, other than the year they had Terrell Owens and how quickly that fell apart. So I think that Andy Reid's philosophy has always remained the same. He's just now in Kansas City, found an organization and a supporting cast, and most importantly, a quarterback to, to execute that philosophy at the highest level. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You said the philosophy has remained the same. Are there things that you notice, maybe even from a distance now, that are different about Andy Reid? You know, I think he seems a lot more at peace and, and maybe having – a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes does that for you. Maybe being in Kansas City where the media coverage isn't as 
daunting as it is in Philadelphia on a day-to-day basis. It's not a pressure cooker or a crucible in Kansas City like it is in Philadelphia. Um, I, I think that, you know, the fact that Andy Reid is kind of, it seems from afar, yes, he still calls the plays offensively, but he seems very hands-off when it comes to Steve Spagnuolo and that defense. I think that's a little bit of a philosophical change where he's kind of been the head coach of the offense and let Spagnuolo be the head coach of the defense. I don't know that that's always been the case. I think that they've run the ball or they've they've run the ball smarter in Kansas City and thrown off of it rather than what they tried to do in Philadelphia the few times they did try to run the football. But, you know, by and large, it, it just seems like having an elite quarterback has made all the difference for Andy Reid. Hmm. Yeah. Even before they had Mahomes, there was still sustained success with Alex Smith, right? And and the Andy had Andy, along with John Dorsey in the front office, arriving here, it was 2013 was their first year here, really turned things around. Was there, like, do you remember, or would you even say even now, obviously Philly won a Super Bowl after he left, thanks to, you know, Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, all that. Do you get the sense that most people would still love to have Andy back? Or, like, what, like what's the aftermath of that decision yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting because I think that there was significant Andy Reid fatigue in Philadelphia at the end. But he's, you know, if you walk around Philadelphia, at least up until maybe 10 or 15 years ago, Dick Vermeil still had billboards all over town. You know, he was the spokesperson for Independence Blue Cross. And you saw commercials for different products that he was hawking. And, you know, he, of course, led the Eagles to a Super Bowl berth in 1980. So he was well-regarded, beloved, if you will, around the city and around the region. I don't know that Andy Reid has reached those heights, but I do know just from anecdotally taking the temperature of, you know, my friends and family and when the Chiefs have made Super Bowl runs the last couple of years – People around here are pulling for Andy Reid. I think that they want to see Andy Reid succeed and do well. And, you know, the Eagles, of course, won their Super Bowl before Andy Reid got his. I think that helped. I think the fact that you had generations of people like my father who have gone their entire lives without winning a Super Bowl, he gets to witness it in person because, you know, he joined me out there on that trip when I was covering the game, which was great and another story in its own right. But I think that people like that who got to celebrate an Eagles Super Bowl made it easier for them to root for Andy Reid to go and get his ring and his rings, if you will, after they already had theirs. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Well, Matt, I want to get to your column um, this week and, and you focused on, you know, the chiefs, the chiefs are course correcting. They've won three games in a row. Um, the competition may be a little suspect. I mean, you're talking about a Packers team without Aaron Rodgers, the Giants, um, you know, and then this week, I mean, we'll probably look back and realize the wheels were completely falling off the Raiders uh, at midseason and, and we're watching it happen week after week, but you know, they've, they've righted the ship. They're, they're at the top of the AFC West. And I know in your column this week, you were able to focus in on, I mean, we're talking about Reed, it's really his leadership. Can, can you tell us kind of what you learned in your research and conversations about where the Chiefs are at and Reed's leadership style there? Yeah, Matt, it really just seemed, looking at what's happening in Kansas City over the past month or so, like it's been a perfect storm, right? And, and I remember growing up watching Andy Reed teams in Philadelphia 
they would always really peak and hit their stride in the month of November. And there were two or three years where they made deep playoff runs after slow starts on the heels of going 4-0 in November and 3-1 and in December to close out the year. And that was every year with Andy Reid, it seemed like. So you look at the calendar turning to November. You look at the defense starting to find its teeth again. You made some changes in the secondary. They pushed Chris Jones back on the inside, which is more of his natural position. But you have this month of November phenomenon taking hold. You have the defense, you know, finding its footing, taking hold at the same time. And you have Patrick Mahomes with a game against AFC West competition and three more games against the AFC West still to come, four actually, because you get one more against the Chargers, one against the Raiders, and both of the Broncos games, it just feels like a perfect storm is brewing for the Kansas City Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes is something like 17-3 and all-time against the AFC West. Andy Reid is 55-31-1 in the month of November, dating back to his second year in Philly. 22-9 and all-time in November in Kansas City. So that November phenomenon is real. And, you know, I was able to get in touch with Matt DeVito. Thanks to you for making that connection. Mike, Mike DeVito. Mike DeVito, Mike DeVito, the former defensive end, and he was just fantastic. A great conversation, great insight. And I think what really stuck with me was the thing about Andy Reid teams and the reason that they get so much better this time of year, it's about consistency and doing things the same way from the first time you walk on the field in April or May for OTAs as when you walk on the practice field in a, a November Wednesday getting ready for a game throughout the entire course of the season, the entire course of the program. So, you know, that really jumped out at me as a reason why the Chiefs are peaking right now. But it just feels like, you know, I've talked about this on my podcast. I've written about it in the column. It doesn't feel like there's a dominant team in the AFC right now, right? It feels like you can make a strong case for the Buffalo Bills being the number one seed and going to the Super Bowl or losing in the wild card weekend. Same goes for the Tennessee Titans, the Baltimore Ravens. The Cincinnati Bengals a month ago were the first place team in the AFC North and looking like they were the number one seed. They've completely collapsed. So my point here is, Matt, it just seems like all of these teams are flawed. Andy Reid has a mythology and a a way of succeeding at the right time every year. They have the firepower on offense. They have the defense where, you know, after Sunday, which might be a Super Bowl preview against the Dallas Cowboys, the Chiefs could make some headway here. And they might very well be the team to beat regardless of where they are in the seeding in the playoffs on a potential run to the Super Bowl. Hmm. I, I, I love hearing you say that, obviously. Uh, and I, w- I wanted to ask you about this because, um, you know, like, like it's easy for us, you know, we focus on the AFC and it just, you're right. You survey the field and, uh, you know, I mean, the Patriots look great right now and they've lost four games, right? Sure and, do. And, uh, you know, the, the Titans have lost only two games, but then you're looking at the absence of Derrick Henry and thinking, yeah, that's not sustainable. And Julio Jones. Right, right, right. Um, so. Yeah, you know, it's just a whole mishmash, but we're not as familiar with the NFC overall. And given your experience covering especially the East, I'd love to hear from you who you think is like is a real contender there. Um, or is it sort of the mishmash of teams that the AFC sees? And, and then specifically with the Sunday with the Cowboys, uh, like are the Chiefs really facing someone that big? Um, who who could be there in the in the final, or or is it really kind of a give and take, like the AFC is now? 
Yeah, I think, Matt, there are only really two or three teams on the NFC side that can make a legitimate case at making a run at the Super Bowl, and they have very strong cases. And I think it's the Dallas Cowboys, it's the Green Bay Packers, and it's the Arizona Cardinals. I think everybody else is just kind of hanging around, and maybe you get Dak Prescott on an off week or Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury go through their second-half swoon that we saw a year ago, and Murray's health is now a bit of a concern for Arizona. But I just watched the games on Sunday. And it really looked like the Dallas Cowboys, after that loss to the Denver Broncos, and I wrote about this in the column, they weren't just out to beat the Falcons. They were out to beat them into submission and make a statement that we belong in the conversation. And I think they did that. And and similarly to the Kansas City Chiefs, and you look at that offense with Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, all the weapons we talked about, Dak Prescott is a top two or three quarterback in this league this year. He's playing like that right now. And the weapons they have with CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, Dalton Schultz, and those two running backs with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, they might be the most complete team in the NFL. And everybody laughed at the Dallas Cowboys defense last year and coming into this season. They're 15th in the league in total defense. They're 10th in scoring defense. Michael Parsons looks like the NFL defensive rookie of the year. Trayvon Diggs has something like seven or eight interceptions. I think the Cowboys are for real. I think they're the team to beat in the NFC. You know, I forgot to mention earlier the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but Tom Brady suddenly looks human over the last three weeks, losing on Sunday, throwing the costly interception and losing to Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon against the Saints. I just look at the Packers and the Cowboys as the best teams in that side of the bracket playing the best football. And it might come down to Mike McCarthy in Lambeau Field with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Mm. Yeah, I I love that idea in terms of uh, like football you'd want to watch. That's a must watch. Great theater. Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The, the, the Cowboys, you were talking about their defense, but like when you, when you look at the chiefs, it was never about, Oh, we need to get our defense as good as the offense. It's really just about, boy, if they could just stop a few drives a game, I mean, it's really just about if they could just be an average defense, they're good to go because the offense is good. Like, is, is that how the Cowboys feel? And then, and then, and then now they're there. Like, is, is it the same sort of application? I think to an extent, I mean, they were rock bottom a year ago. I mean, they, they were a complete mess. They, they've drafted really well in the early rounds, committing to rebuilding that defense. Diggs has really played above his weight throughout the course of this season. I think they have a chance to get better than that. And they've kind of gotten better as the season has gone along. They're really opportunistic. All they have to do is play complementary football. But I think that they, they're good enough, and they have the pieces at all three levels to be better than that. Um, And I think we're going to find out Sunday. We're going to find out on Thanksgiving when the Raiders come to town. I I agree with you. I think the wheels have been falling off Las Vegas for the last two or three weeks, dating back to the tragedy involving Henry Ruggs. But they're still a second-place team in the AFC West. There are still pieces to that puzzle. Derek Carr is still a top 10 or 15 quarterback in the league, maybe better than that. So I think the Cowboys are going to be tested over the next two weeks. And we're going to find out a lot about who Dallas is and certainly who Kansas City is when they line up opposite of that offense on Sunday night. Mm. Well, before we let you go, I just got to ask then, do you have a prediction for Sunday? Like, what are you expecting to see? Boy, you know, 
this feels like everything we've we've talked about on this podcast so far, right? About the defenses being resurgent and Kansas City winning games on the back of a defense that's finding its footing after some key changes, and you know Micah Parsons and Trevon Diggs and all these people, you know, making big impacts for the Cowboys defense. I feel like there's a shootout coming, right? I feel like this is when Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes put on a show, and it's going to be one of these wild. 34-28, whoever has the ball last goes down and scores a touchdown to win the game kind of games. That's kind of what I think could be in play here. And it's one of these games where it's AFC versus NFC, so it doesn't kill either team in the standings. But I think it's one of those games where the winner of this game on Sunday, boy, you have to feel really good about your chances based on where Dallas is in the NFC standings and based on how the opportunity is there for the Chiefs to plant their flag as the team to beat in the AFC. If they beat the Cowboys, I think you have to start really having that conversation. Yeah. Boy, that's great. Uh, Matt, it's always a pleasure to chat. So glad to have you on the show today. At Matt Lombardo NFL is where you can find him. Don't look at at Matt Lombardo because he's a (laughs) pretender since 2015. Matt, thanks so much for joining the show. Enjoyed it tremendously, Matt. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) You got it. Folks, you've been listening to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Thank you so much. My name is Matt Connor, flying solo today, hopefully for the last time ever. You can find me at Matt Connor AA. Uh, I also run Arrowhead Addict, and we've got a great stable of writers there. Stay tuned. A little bit later in the week, you'll have Matt Verderam and Patrick Allen back again for their Cowboys preview before this weekend's post-game uh, breakdown that we always do, both audio and on YouTube and streaming video. Um, folks, we got a big game coming this week. It's been, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to share uh, these airwaves with you. We, all of us just feel so um, honored and even taken back that anyone would ever care what we have to say. Uh, but you guys are great. Thanks so much for being listeners. Thanks for supporting the show. We'll see you next time. Go chiefs. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited-edition, ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.